So, um, you know, I've been thinking as we uh, get ready to jump into this, I'm going to give a disclaimer here. Uh, I am, we're talking about this, uh, this idea of being unoffendable. And, and I'll tell you, the reason that I, you'll see anything about the book is um, not because I'm trying to steal from the book, but because I just didn't want to take credit for some of the ideas in this book. Now, as I preach through this over the next several weeks, you're going to uh, hear some things. And if any of it piques your interest, know that it's not original to me thoughts, um, but they are thoughts that I have, you know, worked around. And uh, when I read this book, it was really kind of a a perception changing thing for me. And that's why I think that it's important. Also, whenever I do anything about a book, I don't, um, I don't just randomly pick some book and think, oh, I want to do this. But, you know, I'm a reader and I read. And when I come across something that I think would be very beneficial for us, especially in our uh, Christian faith or our walk with Christ, then um, I'll bring that to us. And uh, usually I don't ever do anything than, than more, more than once a year in a book. Having said all that, um, I'm not promoting this book, but I do have a few copies that I got. If you're interested, you're like, ooh, I want to read that book. Um, we don't make money on it, but uh, $15, and you can have one of those. We're just trying to make the money back. Same with the t-shirts, by the way. Uh, for us, we're not, it's not a money-making venture. We just want to get the money back for them so that we can you know, continue to do these things. It's uh, really that's very close to our cost, the $10. It's just a nice round number. But anyway... Uh, so we're going to get into this. I was thinking the other day, anybody in here have a problem like you wake up at, say, 3 in the morning and then you have a hard time going back to sleep? Does that happen to anybody else? Like you wake up and you're like, oh, 3 o'clock. You know, it's in those times that I think we make the worst decisions. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's 3 o'clock in the morning and um, especially it used to be the case. It's not quite as bad anymore, but it used to be you would turn the TV on and the only thing on were like the... the um, set it and forget it, you know, like all the cells and the home shopping network and, and they would be on. And that's whenever you find people are buying things that they really don't need. Um, and maybe that's one of you guys, you, you bought something you don't need, like, oh, this is an air fryer that you can cook a turkey in. But I mean, why do I need an air fryer that's quite so big? Or maybe you think, oh, that's the coolest thing ever and you purchase it. Like it's just bad decisions. The, the worst though is eating. Anybody wake up at like three and you're like, I'm so hungry, I just can't. Nobody, is it just me? You wake up at three? Like the worst decisions are made at three in the morning because you walk out and you're kind of groggy, you know? You come into your kitchen and you're like, I don't know, I have a Pop-Tart. There's a Pop-Tart there. I'm gonna eat the Pop-Tart, the worst thing. I mean, whenever I quit doing that, um, that's when I started to lose weight because I was like, I quit eating Pop-Tarts at three in the morning. Um, and you know, at three in the morning, you don't think about calories or maybe you don't think they count or whatever but you know you might eat two pop tarts and a package of cookies and uh, I mean and what are you doing with milk in the at three in the morning pouring some milk and some cookies maybe I'm just talking to myself I get that so I have been on a a health journey uh I've always I, I, most of my life I've exercised but uh I exercise to eat um, so, you know, don't judge me. Some of you maybe do the same thing. Like, I don't want to adjust my diet. Everybody's like going to diet. And I'm like, first of all, men don't diet. Um, <laughs> we, we go on cuts, if you remember that. I, like, I'm on a cut right now. It's not a diet at all. And uh, I, I'll, I'll just tell you this funny story. I was, as I've been on this, uh, this cut, the, 
the other day I put on a shirt that used to be kind of tight on my arms. Now I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I would put this shirt on and it was a button-up shirt and I'd put it on and it would tie on my arms. I'd be like, yeah, I'm jacked. You know, look at that. Ooh, that arm. It's a nice arm. Just filling that sleeve up. Um, after I lost a few pounds, I put that shirt back on and it was a little bit loose. And I was like, it was fat? Are you kidding me? It, it wasn't muscle, it was fat. I was so disgusted. Like I couldn't believe that I was all thinking I'm jacked and it was just fat, filling the sleeve up. Um, anyway, and, and here's the thing. If you would have come and told me, Cal, I don't think it's muscle. I really just think your arm's fat. <laughs> I would have been offended. I'd have been like, um, who are you? You don't know what you're talking about. It's not fat, that's jacked. Like that's, feel that muscle right there. <laughs> I think some of you have felt the same pain as me. <laughs> you're like, and you know, I do the test. You ever do the test? You hold it up in the mirror and you're like, if I shake it like, oh, there's a jiggle. <laughs> um, anyway, don't do it now. Don't do it now. <laughs> some of you are like, you know, I got a long sleeve shirt on. All right, here, true story. Uh, any Cowboys fans, which I know we have some here, the Cowboys and Giants, New York Giants rivalry is legendary. I mean, I don't know if you guys know that. I, the, the Giants, the Eagles, and who used to be the Redskins, I'm not going to call them the football team because um, they're still trying to get there. <laughs> all right, Cowboys and, and all these other teams. Just kidding. We got some Giants. Some, uh, Washington fans here. Uh, the Cowboys and the Giants. It's, it's one of the great rivalries of all time, but one of the things that I take pride in is that Dallas owns that rivalry. I don't know if you know, I looked up the stats. 69-47-2 and two, the Cowboys have over the Giants. Awesome, right? Like, whoo, we got this one. We're winning this. Um, I have a friend from college who grew up in the Bronx, New York, and uh, so he and I have always had this friendly rivalry, you know. Uh, basically, it means we just don't talk to each other around the Cowboys Giants uh, playing each other and um, so a few years ago it, it was really it was just a few years ago three or four years the Giants and Cowboys were playing and the Giants beat the Cowboys and of course um, I'm avoiding him um, because I didn't want to talk to him because he you know he's gonna get me and he's gonna make me mad and then we're, I'm like that's that's okay the second game's coming up we own this rivalry no problem we're gonna beat them they beat us again did you know that? Two, a few years ago, they beat us twice. It was miserable, man. It was like the worst thing ever. And the way, and, and then of course me being as competitive as I am, I was mad about it. I was upset. I couldn't believe. And I'm like, I don't even want to talk to, his name's Ryan. I'm not even going to talk to Ryan. He's, he's, uh, I just don't want to hear from him. Um, I'm going to open Facebook. First of all, that was the, the, the thing I shouldn't have done. Facebook's the devil, if you're wondering. Um, I feel like he is manifest sometimes in Facebook. So I, I opened Facebook and immediately I was offended. Like I opened Facebook and I was just so mad. My, I, I just got so irritated. And the reason was not only because of all the people hating on the Cowboys. I mean, you know, even a friend of mine used to say, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. I mean, it's bound to be that they're going to win at some point but that we lost twice. And then he had posted on my, uh, how dare he, you know, like giving me a hard time. And anyway, I, I just remember uh, that I, I was so angry, you know, I'm, and this is no joke. Like my, I was just, any competitive person knows what I'm going through. Like it was just something in me. And I was like, oh, Holy Spirit, I need you. <laughs> Please help me right now. Um, and so fast forward to about a year after that, I remember hearing about, a book called Unoffendable. 
And I thought maybe now uh, is the time to read that book after, after the Cowboys lost. And I, had, I still remember, I got so angry about it. So I knew I was in trouble when on the first page of the book it says, choose not to be offended. Choose not to be offended. And so for the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about this idea of being unoffendable. What does it mean to be unoffendable? What does it mean to take offense? Um, if you look up the definition of the word uh, offended, you're gonna see in the dictionary some things about uh, anger and resentment. Mostly that's what you're gonna find, things about anger and resentment. So as we go through this series of messages, just have in your mind that what we're talking about, being offended, has to do with anger and resentment. As we get into this, if you're like me, um, you think, well, aren't we allowed to be angry? As I say that, some of you are like, well, that's dumb. Like, of course we can be angry. Or what about righteous anger? Have any of you ever taken your anger and categorized it into righteous, oh, this is a righteous anger. Like, I am righteously able to be angry right now. Aren't Christians supposed to be angry about certain things, right? Shouldn't we get upset about certain things in life? You know, we're going to talk about these things and more. So we're going to answer all that through the next several weeks. So this book is written by Brant Hansen. I want to make sure I give credit. Uh, as, in fact, he's a DJ on one of the radio, the Christian radio stations. I can't remember. So if you're listening, you'll hear his name. I used to think that it was our duty as Christians to take offense until I read this. I really did. I thought it was our job to take offense at things. And I, I'm beginning to think, really I've moved into the place where I do think that we as Christians should be the most unoffendable people on the planet. I really think that we need to get there. At the heart of it, here's why, if we forfeit our right to anger, like if we just give it up, if we just say we don't have a right to be angry, then we can deny ourselves, and when we deny ourselves, then we begin to focus on other people. Because as, as long as we think that it's okay to be angry, as long as we um, get angry, as long as we do that, then we're thinking about ourselves, and we're thinking about what made us mad, and we're thinking about what made us angry. But if we give up our right to be angry, then that's a self-denial, right? I'm not giving myself the right to be angry. And now if I can't focus on myself, it forces me to focus on other people. I mean, it all makes a, a good logical sense. So why don't we jump into it? And, and there's just three points today, points of emphasis. The first one is um, maybe we like our anger. Maybe we like our anger. You ever think of that? Have you ever been mad and you're like, man, I like this. <laughs> like, this feels good. Like I'm... I don't know if we do, but may, maybe we continue to get angry because it's what we like. Maybe we feel like anger is just what we needed. I think that this for us today is probably one of the best things we could be talking about because we live in a culture of offense, right? We just, we live in this culture where everybody's offended at every little thing. You don't like pink? Then you can't wear pink anymore. You know, like somebody, so I'm wearing my shirt. If you don't like, and I love pink, by the way, but somebody comes to me and says, I don't like pink. Well, I guess I can't wear pink anymore. Like that's, that's kind of the, the place that we're at. Or um, I don't like what that sign says. Okay, got to tear the sign down. I don't like the name of the sports team. Well, I guess it's got to go. Like we live in this place where, and I'm not saying for or against any of those things. Understand me, I'm just saying that we're so easily angered by those things. 
It's so easy. We just get mad about it. And then we talked a few weeks ago about cancel culture. Like we come to this place where we're mad at it and so we cancel. So I'll tell you that for me in my life, I have intentionally went about this path of not canceling people. I, I try to not just, just cancel them and be like, you're, you're cut off. I don't like you. And so that's it. Christians would do the same thing though. Like we're like, oh yeah, there's this culture and the whole world is going crazy. Not us. Because we're safe as Christians. But listen, what we do is we Christianize it. Uh, we feel like Scripture justifies our anger or our offense in this anger culture. Like, oh, they're going to get mad. Oh, they're going to do that. Oh, well, I'm going to be mad about it too. And I'm going to, that's it. Like, I'm angry about it. But it's okay because Scripture says I can be. See, we Christianize it. And we use Scriptures like this, Ephesians 4, 26. By the way, I forgot. As we go through this, um, there's going to be quite a few Scriptures. So if you'd like to follow along in the notes, download the church app. The notes for today's message are in there. All the Scripture will be listed. Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, it says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And we're like, oh, yeah, right? I can be angry. Just don't sin in it. And don't go to bed with it. When we got married, this is one of the principles, the reason I live by it. It actually helped us. When we would get angry at each other, we would have to make up before we would go to sleep. Um, and we've held, held that. And so we've had, a, we've had a great relationship over our lives because of that. But ha have you ever continued to read though? And notice in verse 31, and you see right here. So we think we can be angry, but then verse 31 contradicts that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I don't think that this is a contradiction. I think this is saying, I know that you're human, and you're going to mess up and get angry. When you do, don't sin. But listen, here's, what you here's how you should live. Get rid of it. Don't have it. Don't hold on to it. Don't be angry. Of course, we're human, right? I'm not saying that you're not ever going to be angry again. Some of you are going to leave here and you're going to have a fight about where to eat for lunch. Please don't fight about lunch. But you know, you all know, it, it happens sometimes. I wonder if we like being angry. I don't know that we could say that we like what caused us to be angry. I think probably most of us wouldn't say that. But we like thinking we've got something over on somebody, if that makes sense. I think we like thinking that when somebody does something wrong, we have the upper ground, right? We set ourselves up in a righteous position. We call it righteous anger. I mean, I always think I'm right. I mean, I never come into it and be like, I'm not right. You're right. Hmm, no way. I'm like, you did that. You did. You caused this. You did. I'm, I'm right. Right? I mean, I've got my vote. <laughs> like, that's the, way, that's the way we do this here. The problem is, then we run into the pesky scripture like Proverbs chapter 16. You may believe you're doing right. <laughs> But the Lord will judge your reasons. You may believe you're doing right, but God's got you. We have to be careful setting ourselves up in that. We're geniuses at rewriting the story so it's never our fault. Like We're great at it. Actually, after reading this book, I've had to adjust some of the ways that I think. I've had to learn to accept responsibility. I've had to learn to accept, accept, under, not accept, but accept fault. 
And I actually think that makes my relationship with people better when I accept my fault. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like this, I did this. You're right. Like, I'm not gonna twist this into me being right. It, it, we do it with our kids all the time. Just imagine, those of you who have kids or have been around kids, every kid's like, well, it's not my fault. Well, how did you fail that test? Well, the teacher gave me a hard test. It's not my fault, <laughs> right? Every, everything, nothing's our fault. We got, I got into an accident. I've been in one accident with the family. We were, it wasn't a super bad accident, but I tried to make it not my fault. I can still remember. I ran a red light. But really, it was, it was a green arrow, and I was following the car in front of me, and like watching that car, not the light, you know. So it wasn't my fault, really. <laughs> so I tried to say for a long time, it wasn't my fault. That's okay. She's been in wrecks too, so we're, we're even. <laughs> I'm not going to let her win that one. All right, here's a quote out of the book. Brent Hansen says this, and I agree. That, so he said it better than I could. The thing that you think makes your anger righteous is the very thing you're called to forgive. The thing that you think makes your anger righteous is the very thing you are called to forgive. Grace isn't for the deserving. Because <laughs> we don't deserve grace, get that? Forgiving means surrendering your claim to resentment and letting go of anger. Martin Luther King Jr. said, you must not harbor anger. You must be willing to suffer the anger of the opponent and yet not return anger. Now, if anybody understood what it meant to be offended, it would have been him because he was fighting for civil rights. But we have a tendency to hear the things the way we want to hear them. All right, James 1.20 says this, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then Colossians 3.8 says, but now also put these things out of your life, anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others, and using evil words when you talk. Like that's going to be our new family model. Did you catch all that? Really, get in the notes, and, and that's Colossians 3.8. But now also put these things out of your life. Put them out. Don't have them. Anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others. Everybody with kids needs to download that. Using evil words when you talk. We got to be careful, man. What we hear is that we should get rid of our evil words, except when they have it coming. Right? Because they have it coming sometimes. Or we should get rid of our evil words unless it's constructive. If it's constructive, then maybe it's okay. It says get rid of all anger. Here's what I think. Anger's going to happen. Sometimes it's just going to happen. As humans, we have to be careful not to let the emotion get the best of us. I guess... The crux of the question is, what do you do with your anger when it happens? What are you going to do with it? How, how are you going to get rid of it? The way I'm reading the Bible, the way I understand what God wants, we need to get rid of it. But can we just get rid of it? What does that look like? Can, because the, the thought just scrolls around in our mind. and we're, I did hear somebody say once, I think it was Andy Stanley said, when you begin to have conversations with that person in your mind, some of you have done it. You're like, I'm going to walk in that office on Monday morning and I'm going to, and off goes the conversation. Like it's happening. Like that's when you've crossed over. Like you got to be careful. If you begin having conversations with somebody in your mind, it's time to talk to that person for real. 
I guess, how do we get rid of anger? That's where we're at. All right, it's okay, and we've talked about justice and mercy. It's okay to seek justice, and it's okay to seek mercy, but we don't have to be angry to do it. In fact, I would say we can do it better when we're not angry to seek justice and mercy. When I was a kid, there was, um, oh, my parents used to drive me crazy with this. They would say, anytime they would say, Cal, it's your turn to do the dishes. <laughs> Why? We hear it still. It must be like a kid generational thing. Why? Why do I have to do dishes? I don't want to do dishes. Can't so-and-so do dishes? Why don't they do dishes? I don't want to do dishes. I'm the only one who works around here. You ever get that? <laughs> Some of you have said it. I'm the only one. Nobody else cares today. Well, I'll come in the house and I'll be like, I'm the only one <laughs> in this house that cares about what it looks like. I'm the only one, which isn't true because Teresa cares far more than me. But in my anger, <laughs> I'm the only one in that moment. I'm the only one who cares and nobody else cares. There's a chapter in the book that uh, Brent Hansen says it this way. Everybody's an idiot but me. <laughs> it's a funny one. So it's a choice, Okay. And, and we're getting into what do we do with our anger. I didn't lose you there. Choosing not to take, take offense is not simply ignoring the wrong. It's not just trying to pretend like it didn't happen. It's acting without bitterness or contempt. So if we practice everything just in our mind, we're going to get lost in our mind. It's going to eat us up. It's going to overwhelm us. We're not going to be able to do. It's going to interfere in our relationship with others. It's going to interfere in our relationship with God because it just won't leave our mind. So we have to take that emotion, turn it into an action, and do something for somebody, maybe even the person who caused the offense, but do it without bitterness. Do it with the heart of love. Imagine Jesus... And we were talking in our Sunday school class this morning about love. What, what is love? Jesus did not emote a special feeling of butterflies and rabbits when he was going to die on the cross for our sins. You know what I mean? But he still loved us. He did it because he was seeking our well-being. That's what love is. So when somebody makes you angry, you can still love them because you're seeking their well-being and maybe their well-being comes when you act without bitterness or contempt and talk to them and tell them you care about them and how can I help you and let me love on you because we also don't know what happened in their life that caused them to act this way in your life. And maybe they're having such a bad time in their life that them cutting you off in traffic is not worth you're just going to uh, make it worse by cutting them back off, coming to a stop. Hey, let's get out of the car and settle this right now. You know, we've got to be careful in that. So act without, this is the action to taking care of it when it's in our mind. Act without bitterness or contempt. I grew up in a church that was pretty strict on rules. So story, my, I mean, to help you understand my story, my dad was saved when I was a kid. So I didn't, wasn't born into the church, but I was, I was a kid he and my mom went through a divorce. I was, he was saved in that um, and through that thing. And then so sometime in my childhood, we started going to church. So I was in church a lot as a kid. And the church that we grew up in had, it was pretty strict on rules. It, it, was, it was strict. But you couple that with my personality, 
because of my competitive spirit and I want to win at everything, so I was going to win at the rule keeping. <laughs> like, I'm, a, I'm the best. I will be the best rule keeper. So you put those two things together and you come out with a pretty self-righteous little kid. You know, growing up, I was, boy, I was self-righteous. I wonder if sometimes when I fell away from God, when I chose to walk away from him, I wonder if that's why I fell so hard. Because once I decided to rid myself of all these religious rules that I went so far into the world, I don't know, it was, it was a, I, I'll tell you my story privately sometime, but it was like it was a, a crazy time. Here's what I found being on both sides of the fence. According to the radical teaching of Jesus, I stand as guilty morally as any other sinner, period. So no matter when I was the most religious rule keeper who really didn't know Jesus, or when I was the furthest that I ever stepped away from him in the world, without Jesus, I was as guilty as any other person, no matter which side. That's where Jesus comes in and he helps us. So where does that leave me? It was a hard thing to hear for me. I'm not better than anyone else. You are not better than anyone else. As much as you may think so, as much as I thought that I was, I was not better than anyone else. We want to think everybody's worse than me. In fact, what I'll hear people say is, at least I'm not as bad as him. Like, if I can stay between him and God, God's going to choose me first. Because like that guy, no way. Like he's not getting chosen. But so, like that's the worst guy. I'll just stay this side of that bad and I'm good. Right? You guys feel that way? I mean, sometimes that's the way we act. Like at least I'm not as bad as him, so God will still choose me, right? No. As bad as the worst is, and as bad as the best bad person is, nobody's better than the other. Because Jesus, it's all about him. So I think, I think I've been pretty transparent over the years of my, you guys probably think I have a problem with driving. Um, I talk about it all the time, but I'm going to tell you a story. I was, I was, I was driving. The worst things happen in cars. Does that happen to you guys too? It's the worst thing. Like everybody's, a, a, everybody's an idiot but me. Like all the drivers, they're everybody. So I'm driving, getting the left turn lane, driving, going to turn left. And then here comes a car, like from three lanes over, just come. And I'm like, they're not going to, they're not whoop, right in front of me. No, no, I can't believe they did, you know. And then we all turn left. I'm trying to get beside them and say, I got your number, man. I got you. I right? It happens. It might, maybe happens to you. Would you believe <laughs> I did the very same thing the other day? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I've got to turn left. And I'm over here. Here we go. Sorry, guy. And I'm waving at them. <laughs> they were waving back. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what we need to know. <laughs> we are not entitled to our anger at someone else. You're not entitled to your anger. You don't get to be angry just because you want to be angry. I felt so bad. I felt so guilty because that person that I was 
not cussing because I'm sanctified, but I was like, you are, I can't believe how much of a jerk you are. Look, you're, you're an idiot and I'm just so mad. And I was like angry, right? Super offended about it. And then I did the very same thing. And little things like that make me realize I'm not entitled to my anger. I'm not entitled to it. Why would I think that I'm entitled to it? All right, so then people ask, shouldn't we be angry at sin? How do we respond to that? We need to be angry at sin. I'm going to read a quote, another quote. God took out his wrath on Jesus for other people's sin and my sin. I'm so thankful for that. He will deal with other sin. That's not my deal. God took out his wrath on Jesus for other people's sin. God took out his wrath on, uh, about sin on Jesus. So my sin, that God's wrath should be directed at me, he took out his wrath on Jesus for my sin. And if he took out his wrath on Jesus for my sin, and he did that for everybody else, then why am I returning? It's like I'm taking that power away from God or trying to. Oh God, you're not gonna direct your wrath at that person? I'll do it for you. It's not our, it's not our place. We don't get to do that. So when we say, shouldn't we be angry at sin? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not saying we should like it. I'm not saying we should accept it. I think that we should speak against it. Sin is a real thing. People are living in sin. People are gonna go to hell because of sin. I'm not taking any of that away. All I'm saying is it's not my place to be angry at somebody because of their sin. We gotta be real careful with that. And by sin, we always mean someone else's sin. It's never my sin, right? It's always someone else's. And isn't being offended tiring? Don't you ever just get tired of being offended? Do you ever get tired of being angry? I mean, it will wear you out. Some of you have, be, have experienced anxiety because you hold offense and anger. And it just eats away at you. Not only that, but if you look at all the wisdom literature in the Bible, Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, those things, it always deals with foolishness. Listen, Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the laps of fools. Wow. Now, some of you are offended at me for talking about you being a fool. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody's a fool. Understand me. I'm just saying scripture right here says if we let anger reside in us, that's what resides in the laps of fools. Don't hold your anger. Let it go. And again, how do we let it go? By doing something for somebody without anger or contempt. Turn that thought into an action of positivity, of love for somebody else. And why are people so angry? Why are people so angry? Have you noticed? And listen, it, it's, it's becoming more and more and more in our society. It, it just really is. We should abandon what we feel as our right to anger. We don't know other people's motives. Talked about that a minute ago. We don't know what's going on in their life. We don't know why they're so angry. Only God knows their motives. It's not my place to judge the motive. So I don't know why they're angry, but I can't respond in anger. 
Got to be careful there. 1 Corinthians 4. As for myself, I do not care if I am judged by you or by any human court. I do not count, I do not even judge myself. I know of no wrong I've done, but this does not make me right before the Lord. The Lord is the one who judges me. So do not judge before the right time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light things that are now hidden in darkness and we will, uh, and will make known the secret purpose of people's hearts. Then God will praise each one of them. So, God's gonna take care of it all. In other words, take that burden off of you. You don't have to wonder why are people angry, what, what's going on in their lives. You don't have to take it upon yourself to be angry at them for God. Just let him handle it. He's got it under control. He doesn't need your help. In fact, you'll find that if you get into that world, it's gonna cause you problem. It's gonna cause you to step into sin. Uh, there's a guy named Dan Cahan, I think is how you say his name, Cahan, you can Google him, uh, a Yale law professor. He led a study and he found that our passions and our biases, what we're biased about and what we're passionate about, uh, undermine even basic reasoning. This is crazy. So he took a group of mathematicians and he found that uh, people who are usually very good at math are suddenly unable to solve a problem if it conflicts with their political beliefs. If it conflicts with their beliefs, they become unable to solve the problem because they're so biased one way or the other. It didn't matter if the study, by the way, was on liberal people or conservative people. Both have such a bias that it makes them unable to solve a problem. Here's what we learned from that study. As people, we tend to rearrange reality in our hearts rather than change our beliefs to match reality. We will distort the world around us so that we can continue to believe what we want to believe rather than accept reality for what it is and believe that. If we could get that message to our political world today because we become so biased towards one thing or the other. At the end of the day, we simply cannot trust ourselves to judge others because of our bias. We just can't. And that's why God says he will judge. He's gonna take care of it. We don't have to worry about it. Isn't that great? Take that burden off. Don't worry about it. Live your life, love people, do what God wants. Take the anger off. Here's the last one and we'll be done. Getting rid of anger. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna read this uh, portion to you because I love this story and I can never recreate this story. All right, uh, here, here's what he says. There's something powerful and incredibly compelling about someone who refuses to be offended. My friend Michael is a very evangelical Christian. He decided to open a coffee shop in the downtown of a city with a large university in the middle of a thriving arts scene. He opened it right in the middle of the usual assortment of feminist bookstores and hipster apartments. He, plunged, uh, he planned to bring in big name Christian musicians for concerts and feature evangelical speakers. The local paper wrote about him and his wife and their purchase of one of the most significant buildings in the downtown area. It was well within their evangelical plans for a coffee house. I winced when I saw the article. I had other friends in that neighborhood and I knew none of them would welcome this development. 
In fact, before Michael bought the building, it had hosted the community's biggest arts event of the year. It was an exhibition to benefit AIDS research, and it featured local art, some of the very intentionally transgressive variety. We could see the culture was coming. One of the exhibit organizers saw Michael in the street and asked how things were going and with the remodeling of the building. He also commented to Michael that, of course, he and his team will be looking for a new place for their exhibition this year. Michael said, no, that wouldn't be necessary. They could still have the event in his building. They were welcome. The guy was stunned. Really? He asked. That's not necessary. He knew Michael wouldn't want this kind of crowd in his coffee house. Michael told him not only was, were they welcome, but uh, he'd pay for all the catering and, and he'd buy the wine and the hors d'oeuvres. They couldn't believe it. What about the art that Michael would surely find offensive? Michael said they were welcome anyway, and they were. My wife and I went to the exhibit, and sure enough, we didn't like some of the art there for a variety of reasons, though much of it was stunningly thoughtful and beautiful. But Michael had told the event organizers that he didn't need to appreciate all of the art. He just wanted to make them feel loved and at home. Instead of being evicted by Christians from the uh, best location for the exhibit, the artists were welcomed. Michael and his wife met everyone at the door. He dressed in a tuxedo, offered everyone chocolate-covered strawberries, live music filled the room. It turned out to be the best exhibit the group had ever had. That was Michael's style. He loved everybody. He talked for, uh, freely about Jesus, but people didn't mind. He told them he would just talk to people about the goodness of God because he knew deep down that everyone is yearning for a God like that. An acquaintance of ours who ran a business nearby was open, was open about their distaste for Christians and uh, her affinity for Wicca. But she loved Michael and would listen to him talk about Jesus. She said she knew he was different because when she had dropped by his coffee shop in her all-black apparel, he had run over and give her a hug. She knew he wasn't offended by her. He loved her, and not just as a project, he liked her even. Christians in the community wanted Michael to be offended, to draw another line in the sand. You're supposed to get angry and maybe even picket those kind of people. Michael fed them strawberries. He was less interested in what some Christians thought than he was about his chance to introduce offensive people to a God who loves us all and wants to change us all. Love, as it turns out, covers a multitude of offenses. It sure opens doors and hearts too. I'm not gonna say that we should do what he did. All I'm saying is that we need to learn to get rid of anger. We need to learn to drop it like it's hot. We need to learn to forgive the big and the small things. Think about how much less stressful your life will be if you can learn to do that. Have you ever gotten angry and noticed things changing like your face getting hot, your ears getting red? You notice that? I have. <laughs> My ears, boy, I can feel those ears start to warm up. How many can say in those moments that with our anger, we're thinking clearly and rationally. Probably not many of us because offense obscures vision. Our offense will hide what we can see. Some people though, they're just like artists. They see what can be. It was Michelangelo that looked at a block of stone and said he could see the sculpture that was underneath it. Cerise is the same way when it comes to me for clothes. She can look at me and think about the clothes in my closet 
and imagine what, what I should wear. I told you I'm like her Ken doll. She just gets to dress me. God's just like this. He sees things we don't. He sees people for what they can be. He sees you for what you can be. Can we see how choosing to be unoffendable, how to, how to love people is risky, but it can be profound.